one summer day a long time ago, when our son Will was little, five or six, I believe, I took him fishing. The plan was to go to this small river about a half an hour from where we live, a stream where dark water swirls around granite rocks, a place where I'd caught some fish before. So before we left, we gathered up our gear and we packed up some snacks and we started to get excited and eventually we got our act together and we headed out. It was a midsummer day and it was hot, but I didn't really think about that and I figured it will be cooler in the woods and by the water. On the way, we both were really excited about our little outing and me, always hopeful, said, we ought to be able to catch some trout. I said to Will, imagining the proud father, me, taking a picture of him holding a big, beautiful rainbow trout for the camera. But when we got there, I was dismayed to see what I should have known already. That river in midsummer had slowed to a trickle. It was shallow and warm, and any self-respecting trout in that stream would have long ago migrated either upstream or down in search of a deeper, cooler hole to spend the summer in. I felt this ache of probably embarrassment or shame a little bit, maybe that's too strong, but mostly disappointment go through me. Of course, I hid this from Will as best I could, and we set about wandering up and down the banks of that trickle, and soon we were bending over and looking into pools and puddles in the rocky ledge on the side of the stream, turning over stones to see what might be underneath. Some point in time, after a few minutes of this, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed a little dimple on the surface of one of those little pools of water. Some fish, if it's big enough to call it a fish, had risen to take a tiny bug. And so I rigged up the smallest rod we had and tied a tiny fly on the end, and I showed Will how to flick it into the water, which he did, and we waited. And after some moments, a tiny fish did come back up, a sunfish maybe, or some kind of minnow that I couldn't identify, came up and ate that tiny fly. And I was so excited, I said, set the hook! like it must have been some big monster for the deep he was laying into. And he did. And that little minnow swam around in circles inside that little pool because he couldn't go very far. It was probably about this big. It's like fishing in a puddle. And he didn't really even need to reel it in. He just had to back up and pull a little bit of line. And we got that little minnow bending over that shallow water and gently picked it up and it fit in the palm of Will's little hand. <laughs> I didn't take a picture. 
we took that tiny little barbless hook out and we turned that little fish to the water and it skittered away. And he said something like, cool, or that was fun. And so for several hours we did this, wandering from one pool and puddle to another, catching baby fish and looking under rocks and exploring. In the back of my mind, I was hoping that no serious fisherman was going to show up and see what we were up to that day. But I probably didn't need to worry because unlike me, they were smart enough to stay away from that place in the heat of summer. Eventually, we sat on the rocks with our feet dangling in the water and ate the food we had brought. brought. And I noticed that Will seemed to be having a good time But still, I felt this ache of disappointment in me, a disappointment I continue to try to hide. And then eventually it was time to go, and we gathered up our things, and we walked back along the little trail through the woods back to our car. And then on the ride home, like all fishermen, we reviewed our day, what we'd seen and noticed and held in our hands, I was surprised that Will seemed so enthusiastic about it all because we hadn't seen much less caught what I thought we had headed out for, the elusive trout. And I was about to say, well, I'm sorry that we didn't. When he turned to me, the biggest smile on his face, and he said, that's the most fish we have ever caught. And in that moment, I saw the difference between adults and children. I had all these expectations about how it was supposed to be and what would make our outing a success. And Will reminded me that it's about something much more elemental. Being out there, being out there together, seeing what happens, being glad and grateful for any fish that decides to come out and play. I was stunned and happy to see that in his mind, those little minnows were as beautiful and valuable as any trout. It was our most successful fishing trip ever, he believed. And so it was. We live in a time and in a land where bigger is so often seen as better. From big box stores to massive TV screens to huge cups of soda, it seems that everything is big, right? One of my friends came up with a name for it. He calls it America on steroids. You want to supersize that, right? But I hope you don't hear what I'm saying as against desire or effort or aspiration for a better life. It's just that in this month when our worship theme is gratitude, it seems to me that we would be wise to come down to earth and notice and give thanks for what we have 
rather than be sad and sorry about what we don't have. It's so easy, isn't it, to take for granted what is right here, to assume that what is right here will always be here, will always have it, and in so doing to miss the gift that is in this moment and this day. I once heard somebody, I was in the car driving down the highway, I heard someone talking about this on the radio. He was reflecting on a relationship that had ended due to his partner's death and how this had changed things forever. This man said that he had one piece of advice he offered his friends. Want what you have, he said. This week, this past week, I shared a passage from Anne Lamott with the folks who came to our newcomers class, talking about why she would make her young son, Sam, go to church. She says this, I want to give him what I found in the world, which is to say a path and a little light to see by. Most of the people I know who have what I want, which is to say purpose, heart, balance, gratitude, joy. They are people with a deep sense of spirituality. They are people in community who pray or practice their faith. They are Buddhists, Jews, Christians, people banding together to work on themselves and for human rights. They follow a brighter light than the glimmer of their own candle. They are part of something beautiful. To want what you have, to have an attitude of gratitude, doesn't mean that you're complacent or self-satisfied, or that you aren't concerned about the needs of the world. It just means that you are grounded here, that you are present here, that you are grateful here and now. And isn't that a good place to be? Isn't that a firm foundation upon which you can build a life that is a blessing to you and to others and to our world? I sense that I'm preaching to the choir today that you already know this and are working on it because you are a grateful congregation. I saw that early on, but maybe it doesn't hurt to be reminded in a society that seems to want to try to make us always desirous of that which is bigger and better and more, that seems to want to keep us ungrateful and impatient and worried about the wrong things. The antidote to all this outward focus on bigness that gets encouraged by our consumer culture is to remember what is truly important, what money can't buy, time with those we love, moments of peace and grace and connection, And how do we do this? How do we be more awake to these moments 
would be so easy to miss? The answer, I believe, is to go small, to slow down and look more carefully at things, at what's right here close at hand, to take the time to really see and really listen, to really touch and taste that which we have been given, what we could so easily miss if we're not careful. None of us can do everything, and some of us could actually stand to be doing less, right? To have a little more spaciousness in our lives. But I was moved and so grateful to see a good number of you at Temple Emmanuel on Friday night to be with our Jewish friends in this difficult time. It's one thing to say, I am with you, and it's quite another to show up, to make the effort and be there. And isn't that what is needed these days, that we show up for one another and that we be intentional about this? Also at the temple, there were, if I counted correctly, 12 clergy from different traditions visiting there. We were invited forward at the end of the service to join our voices in a collective prayer for peace. And later that night, Cantor Vera Brookhuysen, the spiritual leader of the temple, she wrote us an email saying this. She said, thank you for being with my congregation this evening. I can't begin to convey how much assurance and hope you and your congregants and students and faculties and families' presence gave us. Mother Teresa used to say, we are here to do small things with great love. And so I wonder, what small things might you do with the time and the love you have to share? What ways will you show up and make a difference? The poet Naomi Shihab Nye is a prophet as well as a poet. She's speaking to these times we're living in the poem we heard this morning was from a new book that she published last spring, and in that same book, she wrote a foreword that could have been the whole sermon today. But I'm just going to give you a paragraph. She wrote, someone, Abraham Lincoln perhaps, once remarked that all the voices ever cast out into the air are still floating around in the far ethers somehow, somewhere. And if we only know how to listen well enough, we could hear them even now. Might we pause on our way to everywhere we are rushing off to and hear something in the air, old or new, that would make sense? Can we go outside and listen? She asks. So here again her poem. 
Naomi Shahib Nye's poem, Small Basket of Happiness. It would never call your name, but it would be waiting somewhere close, perhaps under a crushed leaf turned from pale green to gold with no fanfare. You hadn't noticed the gathered hush of a season's tipping. Shadows flowing past before any light came up. People whom only a few might remember. So much accompaniment inside a single breeze. All whom we loved. In the quiet air lived the happiness they had given and would still give, if only. You would slow down a moment. You would bend. My spiritual companions, This is the invitation and the requirement of these days to slow down a minute, to bow and bend and not be ashamed, to pay attention to the small wonders that are around us, the hidden voices, the quiet beauty, the call to be of use to be grateful for what is and for what is yet to be, to plant ourselves here on this small and stable foundation called gratitude, to make this our prayer and our song. Amen. Let's sing number 10, Immortal Love.